the Nashville 2 Podcast with your host, Edward Fox. G'day viewers and listeners, it's Ed Fox back with another fun episode of Nashville 2, where we tell your story. You're Nashville 2. So if you would like to be on the podcast as a guest, uh, reach out to me. Uh, my contact details are in the show notes and all over the social media platform, so you can find us. I'm excited today to have the founder, Randall Patala of World Hunger Team. Wow, that's a mouthful. I got I had to think about that. Normally, if I'm telling a dad joke, I don't have to think about it, but uh, there's no dad joke to be built in that. Randall, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Awesome. So um, you are located whereabouts in the Nashville area? We're in Donaldson on Donaldson Pike. Okay. And how long have you been in the Nashville market? Oh, I've been here 38 years. Uh, I've been at this address for 10 years. So. Okay. Cool. Well, that's, we're excited to have you come on the show, and and thanks for responding to my message. And we met through Alignable, is that correct? Did we yeah. meet on Alignable? Yeah, for yeah. those of you not familiar with Alignable, and maybe you have a small business or work for somebody that has a business, Alignable is sort of like a hyper-local LinkedIn. Uh, they're not sponsoring the show, but I do love the platform. So when you get a bunch of those emails inviting you to join the Alignable platform, it's a social media platform specifically for business owners and reps. And so uh, they've got a good platform, like I said, LinkedIn, but local. Um, anyway, definitely check that out if you're a business owner or a rep. So Randall, uh, I found your story very interesting. You're doing some amazing stuff. Um Tell me about your grow bags that you're providing through World Hunger Team and how they work, and then we'll get into how they came about. Okay, great. Well, we're very active in Uganda right now. We have two orphanages that we support, uh, over 500 kids that we're responsible to feed. Uh, one of them is uh, a true farm, and we bought seven acres there, and we're trying to regrow the lost crops of Africa. But Along the way, COVID hit, and of course now the recession, and there are literally millions of kids starving in Sub-Saharan Africa. It's the worst food crisis in our lifetimes. Wow. Uh, and we tried to come up with how can we really make an impact with a very limited budget? And what we came up with is what we call grow kits. And the main component is a grow bag. For instance, if you wanted to grow tomatoes on your back porch, you might get some kind of uh, wash tub or something. Well, this is really a polyester felt wash tub is all it is. We're buying 50, 100, and 200 gallon fabric wash tubs. And the, the beauty of these things is that they allow the rainwater to filter through. So right. the roots don't rot. You just fill it with the local dirt. But we're putting those in a shrink wrap bag along with hydroponic nutrients. And what those are is all natural minerals so when they feed the plants with these minerals, it's organic food. And we're providing seeds and we're letting the villagers pick the crops they want. Uh, the main staples in Uganda are rice, corn, and wheat, unfortunate remnants of the, uh, the British visitors for <laughs> almost a century. Right. <clears throat> but they really crave the natural crops and they want to grow these for their heritage. So we're providing non-GMO seeds for those crops. In essence, you know, we all know the story, teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Well, we're teaching villagers in remote villages in Uganda how to fish, how to grow their own food sustainably year round. And that came and how did that come about? I mean, you don't just go buy these things at Walmart or Home Depot. Oh, 
No, no. Uh, <clears throat> we actually bought them in China and had them shipped and paid full freight from one point to the other, not knowing what the real business world is like in parts of Africa. Right. The freighter came into Mombasa. All of a sudden, I had $855 in port fees, right. uh, transport fees, inventory fees, invoice fees, you, know, you name it. They just come up with anything. Right. Yeah, it's, so how, they feed the, it's how they feed their family. It's, it's right, right. So, we, we call it corruption because <laughs> our corruption over here is called taxes. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's another podcast. But, you know. We all have our ways that we have to make the world of right. commerce work. And right. some of these ways are foreign to those of us growing up in in the Western culture. I have a lot of friends from India and Pakistan, and it's the same sort of challenge, right? Yeah. Um, we got stopped in India, uh, and the guy's like, uh, you were speeding. And we're like, with 4,000 cars on the road, how can you even tell it was us? You know, they all look the same, and there's 100 auto rickshaws. He was just after a little something-something. Yeah, yeah. It's the, how they feed their family. I get it. So, okay, right. so you, you get you ship them from China uh, to Mombasa to bring them in through to Uganda. And uh, how did that come about? How did you find them? How did I find the bags? Oh, that's yeah. easy. You just go on Alibaba. You can find anything in China. You know, we all know that in business. Right. right. Uh, but anyway, we found it and we've actually got a good relationship with some of the uh horticulture companies over there because we're also producing an indoor grow tent so that the uh, millennials can grow their own greens in their living room or in their kitchen and grow 108 plants at one time in a 40 inch by 40 inch footprint so so like a lot of herbs and stuff they can just yeah greens you know it does lettuce it does a lot of different varieties of lettuce kale swiss chard does fantastic uh, and then, of course, all the herbs you want. I, I grow so much basil. It's just insane. It's insanely good. Right. <laughs> so there's, somebody, there's somebody listening to us or watching us right now that says, OK, well, how do I get to it? How do I get to it? How do I get to it? Because they're impatient, kind of like me. Yeah, yeah. Worldhungerteam.org. Worldhungerteam.org. OK, great. So you're shipping these bags over. You're teaching villages in remote parts of the country how to grow organic food that's helping them with their food shortages. Right. So do I sense maybe there's a nonprofit part and then there's the uh, manufacturing or not manufacturing, but a business part to help support the nonprofit? Well, yes, exactly. We we got online to uh, like micromentor.com. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, Very good. Good source of mentorship. If anyone needs a mentor, these are experts. OK, let's get that one more time. We'll put that in the show notes, if you would, too, please, Randall, when you mail yeah. them to me. What's it called? micromentor.com okay and is there a charge for that none none whatsoever the okay. only deal is they cannot do business with you in other words they can't make a pitch to support you financially right uh, but you get some heavy hitters who are just they can't sit around and play golf all day they just they want to get back in business but they're retired right uh, one of the guys who consulted with me uh used to be he was a hot a top dog with miller brewing company and then ConAgra, you know, little bitty guys. ConAgra is like the biggest in the world. Right. And this guy's like, you don't want to do that. He said, you do not want to do manufacturing under a nonprofit arm. He said, set up a for-profit, have the for-profit make donations to the nonprofit. Nonprofit can sell it so the buyers get a tax deduction. But I just place the order with the for-profit. I don't touch it. Right. That, that's a really <laughs> smart way to do it. For people that are listening out there and they're thinking of starting a nonprofit, 
and they're going to they were going to have a production arm you can save them a lot of trouble and a lot of aggravation right there yeah and setting up an llc is really nothing uh, right. here in Tennessee. the other good thing is if someone at some point wants to acquire that manufacturing capability uh it's really clean right sell a patent or sell the company under an llc versus a nonprofit. all kinds of legal restrictions right. the big companies won't touch a nonprofit as far as acquisition so let's talk about the nonprofit because uh, I think that to me is is the most interesting. Although I love talking about business, the <laughs> fact that you've been in Nashville area for so long, uh, uh, and Donaldson, right? Donaldson, yep. Yeah. And so I'm still learning my way around. That's why I started this <laughs> podcast. Is just like my viewers and my listeners. I I'm learning more about different parts of Nashville. I'm not. I don't know much about. Um, but we talked a little bit pre-show and you've done advertising. You've done a lot of different things over the years at high levels. Mm -hmm. um, but your passion is working with uh, the World Hunger Team to to help these different countries out. Now, ultimately, what what do you see as like your five-year goal? Yeah, our, our one and two-year goal is to get backers to buy more of these kits. Uh, at some point, we're, we're hoping to set up a, a grow kit manufacturing facility in Kampala, Uganda. Right. Where we hire the locals who can't get jobs, by the way. There, right. There's no yep. gainful employment. Uh, we'd like to sell these kits to United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, uh, people like uh, oh, man, any, any of the food-related foundations, United Way. Not United Way. Uh, who am I thinking of? Oxfam from England. Uh, USAID, uh, we're hoping to do a lot of business with USAID. Right. Yeah. And that all makes sense. And it's not that you want to profit off it, but that no. how you can help people is to reach the most amount of people. You've sourced something that works yeah. and you just need people to help you get it out there. And so if, if there's people listening anywhere in the world, actually, that want to participate or help you, uh, how would they reach out to you? Is it through the website worldhungerteam.org yeah. yeah or just randall at worldhungerteam.org okay. uh r-a-n-d-a-l-l -L. Uh, just find it find us on the website you know you'll find me right yep and they can reach out to me also if they can't find you and i can put them in touch so uh, tell me more about is the goal global expansion i mean obviously you're working yeah. with these two orphanages in uganda and you've got a lot of, I mean, just people don't realize the size of Africa and, and the different countries in Africa. Just you could you could be stuck or not stuck, but you could. There's plenty of work in Uganda for the next 10 years. I don't know who's pinging. Is that me or you? Um, don't know. Hopefully it's not showing up on the podcast. But if it is, hey, folks, these things happen. So make sure your browser's not uh, your browsers aren't open and stuff. And Oh, that's probably it. Yeah notifications normally that's okay at, le okay. at least it's not like the old aol remember those days you have mail <laughs> yeah. you have mail i think you one thing I, I probably need to preface this is you know why i got into this whole thing to begin with oh yeah that'd be great well i started world hunger team 10 years ago uh, actually no i'm sorry 13 years ago now and with the premise to use recycled plastic to make greenhouses to make bricks to build greenhouses to grow food Right. And I wrote a book on it. It's it's on the uh, on the interwebs. Amazon is on the interwebs. Yes. <laughs> Feed the world for almost free forever. Okay. And uh, we thought we had a great idea, you know, collecting recycled plastic and making bricks. And then the codes people had a different opinion about that. 
And if you want to do a new building product in the United States, be prepared to spend many, many millions of dollars in VOC tests, stress tests, fire tests, it goes on and on. So we got into uh, hydroponics uh, about seven, eight years ago and started doing all, all kinds of indoor hydroponics. And we've actually got two units that are patent pending, uh, you know, utility patent pending. Our thing is that we, we started testing different ways to grow crops. We ran a community garden out at a nonprofit in Antioch called The Branch. Right. And The Branch is a food pantry and ESL learning center. And we took on a 2,000 square foot garden and we applied hydroponic nutrients to the crops in a traditional drip uh, irrigation environment. In, in other words, what that means is you're feeding the plants with pure nutrients and you're only placing those nutrients at the base of each plant. Right. So it's doing uh, what a lot of people call you know, indoor hydroponics. You see these factories now where they're growing lettuce by you know, rows and rows of lettuce. It's the same technique, but doing it in the ground. Uh, and that's what we're, we're trying to introduce in, in Africa is teach them how to do row crops on bales of hay, raised bed gardening, right? raised bed farming. And the reason that's good is the little critters don't eat as much of the food. It's, it's tougher for them to climb up. And uh, it's also, you're only watering the exact plants. So Got it. Kind of volume farming techniques, still small scale, but there's a, there's a huge need. Right. But small scale could be enough because we're not talking. I, I was actually reading a book the other day about how cities grew bigger once we had a more industrial farming complex and could right. ship food into the cities. Before right. then, cities could only sustain a certain size right. because we couldn't feed the people in them. So right. so what we're talking about here is is villages of 10, 20, 50, uh, you know, 100 people, maybe. Yeah. Um and, and your solution will feed those people in that size village. Yeah. If you go to my website, uh, we have different videos of our different projects. And one of them, we talk about, you know, how could this have happened? How could this crisis have gotten so far out of hand? And there's a video that my guy in Mabale, Uganda, Robert Patera, he's my ambassador there. He's the farmer with the six acres, seven acres. Uh, he shot a video because we sponsor on New Year's Day a big banquet for all, all the right. builders in you know a big radius. And they cooked all the food and the line just wound forever and ever. And they're just all dying for a good meal. And right. you know, yes, the the other the NGOs, they're doing a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong. There's some wonderful people, food for the hungry. They're here in Franklin, uh, great organization doing great work. And they're actually active in Uganda too. Uh, but the need is just, it's just off the charts. Well, it also feels like, I mean, I'm 55. And since I was a kid, I remember hearing about famines in Africa and issues in Africa. And so now we've got a generation almost yeah. that have grown up having the same challenges. You know, if they weren't, if they didn't die off from starvation, right. they're still around. But it, it appears that moving from the model of giving them food which is taken by other people um, and, and used for profit before a lot of it gets to them. And that's out of the NGO's hands. Yeah. Um, we're now moving to this model where we can teach them how to grow and teach them how to supply food for themselves. And mm -hmm. that seems to be a shift after 40 years that's yeah. going to be a lot more sustainable. And my whole thing is I like doing things on a budget. That's where I got into the whole uh, recycled plastic thing. But 
these bags are really actually pretty inexpensive. Now, the the 200 gallon one is like under $20, my right. cost. And so, you know, we're just trying to get people to give us $5 a month, maybe instead of going to Starbucks one day, you know, give it to World Hunger Teams, help feed some kids. Um, I'm not looking, you know, millions of dollars, you know, that's not, we're not the big guys, we're the little guys. Right. But all the money that we collect goes directly to buy these bags. I don't take a salary. None of the people on my team take a salary. We don't, we don't take anything home. I mean, I'm basically on social security, you know, right. <laughs> That's how I my business. I'm fine. I have other businesses too. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, we have many other projects we're working on and those are on the website, but we're not asking you to even look at that right now. We're saying, look at the grow bag. It's simple. It works. We're doing it. It's there. We just need some financial support. So just, you know, tell your friends, we're going to be doing a lot more in social media. I'm kind of a neophyte in that department. So I'm, I'm, putting up the, the white flag and getting help. If anyone right. else wants to be my social media director, I would love to work with you. There you go. That, and, that's, <laughs> and that's a good call because that, that potential, um, you know, Vine, which you may not know, but was like a six second video social media platform went the way of the dinosaurs. But uh, now TikTok is out and it's actually for one of the first times ever become bigger viewership than, um, than YouTube. Yeah. So, uh, so TikTok is where it's at. And, and yeah. it seems like everybody's got enough time for a 30 second or a minute video, yeah. but you get much beyond that and you get an 80% drop off after like a minute 45. So, <laughs> you know, unless it captivates them, you know, uh, we're not going to see Randall, we're not going to see you twerking anytime soon <laughs> on a TikTok <laughs> video, but there is, there will be a lot of good information out there via your social media platforms and yeah. you're doing such great work. So let's do a quick recap. You are sourcing these. Uh, you tell me. You just give me a quick synopsis for somebody that may have joined us late, or somebody that's maybe just wanting to rehear and understand again. Okay, what we're doing is we're producing grow kits, and inside these are shrink wrapped plastic bags with everything air compressed down. So we have like either five, ten, or twenty of these grow bags, these polyester felt grow bags. They're very lightweight. They take them to the village and they open them up. They burn the local dirt in the sun to kill the bugs, but you fill it with the local dirt and you grow organic crops and we give them the nutrients. They're all natural. So it's hundred percent organic food, teaching them how to grow it. We're even teaching them the superfoods. Like we all know the rice and beans combination is a super, you know, the two together is a hypernutrient. Uh, we're teaching them with their uh, local crops, the, the ones they prefer how to combine them for maximum nutrition. So, and we're teaching them how to sustain these plants and harvest them. Like, you know, a lot of times they would just rip the whole plant up and they're eating lettuce. Well, no, you just clip it three inches off the base. It'll grow back. You can just keep greens and they're on the equator so they can grow year round. Right. And that's stuff that they might not have been aware of. You know, I, I didn't know for years that you could regrow lettuce and you could regrow, I think celery can do the same. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as, yeah, there's a lot of different things. Uh, cabbage, probably. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> yeah. So, th so that would be that would be something that I think this education process can end up changing the issues, right? Instead of right. just keep sending them millions of dollars worth of food that they may or may not get. Well, um, we're educating them and we're giving them the tools. And the beauty of these bags is they will last three years of constant use and possibly even longer, but they're designed to last at least three years. So it's not like here's some food, 
and tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. We're teaching them that within 30 days, they can have enough food to sustain their village. Right. So, wow. Yeah. That, that's exciting. And so for people that want to reach out, they can go to uh, worldhungerteam.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can email Randall at worldhungerteam.org yep. and look for you on your social medias. And you're based right here out of the Nashville Metro, which is exciting. That Those are the stories that we want to tell on Nashville, too. You're having a global reach, um, and it started right here in, in the Nashville Metro area. Now, I, would love, I would love to find somebody who wanted to take a high-level position with us, possibly someone who uh, moved here from California or New York, say, and we're coming in in droves, and right. maybe the spouse is fully employed and, you know, this person has a lot of time in their hands, is looking for something to really sink their teeth into. I would love to have a successor. You know, I'm of a certain age. I have to admit it. So right. I would yep. love to have some other people on the team who could take this story and, and potentially some younger people who can attract younger people to this industry. There's a great need. We need help. Right. Yeah. And that is so true. It's it's sometimes it's not about just giving you money. Sometimes your time, effort, and energy yeah. and ideas you bring to the table is more valuable yes. than the money. Yeah. And we need board members. So if anyone wants to become involved, we, we would love to have a, a talk with you. Right. Great. And then I, I think I think one of the things I'd like to see you do when you find that social media person is put out these series of little videos that explain where you need the help. Um, when I, when I built my cricket field up in Kansas, one of the things I did was reach out to volunteermatch.org. Yeah, yeah. There's always volunteer people looking for hours to help in certain ways. And we got greenskeepers and painters and uh, artists that did drawings for, for the sheets I handed out at school. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a lot of organizations out there like that, just like your micromentor.com that yeah. people can research and do resources. But Randall, tell us a little bit about your background and the, the big things that you have done or the points that have led you to this. Okay. Um, basically, I was in advertising. I started off on Madison Avenue uh, working for a graphic designer. Then I went into the fashion catalog business. I worked on uh, Macy's, Bloomingdale's. Uh, I was in charge of S&H Green Stamps catalog, the idea book, <laughs> and uh you know, things like that. Then I moved to Dallas uh, to be with a direct marketing agency. I wanted to get into copywriting. I was doing graphics back in New York. I said, now our copies where I'm at. I'm a word guy. And so I had a job. I did some freelance writing for Texas Monthly and then went with a small agency and then ended up direct marketing manager at Tracy Lock BVDO. And BVDO is one of the seven sister agencies, if anyone's seen Mad Men. Okay. Uh, a big, big group. I worked on Phillips Petroleum, uh, Hager Slacks, Taco Bell, Frito-Lay, Pepsi-Cola, you know, little guys, <laughs> U.S. Tobacco, IBM Direct. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I then got an offer to move here to Nashville right. and uh, be with an international direct marketing agency. And it was owned by a London group. And a year and a half later, the London group went belly up. They got over leveraged and we had a full manufacturing plant. We had the only assets, you know, this is an old saying in the ad business is your assets go home at night. Right. And cause it's just computers, you know, and desks. Well, we had a whole production plant on Elm Hill Pike. We printed our own envelopes. We did really large bank mailings, credit card company mailings. And so they had to sell the iron to make money. Right. <laughs> so I was stuck here. I hung my own shingle and kept that going for 21 years, strategic direct marketing. 
Right. We served banks, credit unions all over the country, uh, finance companies, did a lot of direct mail. Uh, we got really big in the mortgage business in the mid 2000s, and that was like <laughs> printing money. Uh, and then 2008 right. came, and all of a sudden they turned the key and right. it lasted two more years, couldn't, couldn't save it. Well, I think that, and the reason I wanted you to tell that story is because we don't know what small steps we take in one direction. Mm-hmm that are going to lead us to things right i oh, mean for me no idea. <laughs> right exactly i mean i talked to this american girl in a in a store in brisbane uh where i was working she said i was flirting with two new zealand girls and need to take her out for dinner because i made a miss a bus we've been married 32 years and i end up starting businesses you know all over the country and doing different business stuff that i like to do yeah. um and now my three kids are all running their own businesses and so you know Again, it's those thin threads that draw us in. And I, I got an opportunity to buy a Nashville franchise that I, I own the franchise up in Wichita. And I've always liked the Nashville market. I've liked the Nashville attitude, the people, the freedom in the state, uh, no state income tax. That's helpful too. Yeah. And um, I, I feel like I'm in the right spot and I'm shedding some light, some visibility on different businesses, nonprofits, different people doing things like yourself um, Mm -hmm. from the Nashville market, which is, is fun for me. So, but I, I think the biggest thing I, the point I want to point out with what you've done is you kept, you know, our favorite word after COVID is pivot. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. Remember, remember 20 years before that it was paradigm shift. Yeah. Right. We had a paradigm shift. Now we're pivoting. I don't know what the next one will be, but I think sometimes we get into this idea that, sorry, let's being telling marketed over here. Um, we get into this idea that we're going to run the, the one career the rest of our lives. Yeah. And even those of us that had the opportunity to stay in one career, different things happen and we have to learn to paradigm shift or pivot or do something different. Yeah. And I think we have to keep ourselves open to that. We have to keep ourselves open to the energy that a new idea or a new focus can bring. Exactly. And, you know, God won't close one door without opening another. And if you're not doing what you're intended to be doing, he'll let you know in a big way. Like during COVID, when COVID hit, you know, nonprofits, we suffered, let me just say. And so we did get some government grants to keep the lights on, but I set up an eBay business. I was buying Amazon returns and selling them on eBay. I was doing a big clip. Right. I I sent a lot of money to Africa off those (laughs) eBay sales. Right. Those kids alive, you know, and it's just, you have to have, uh, you have to be driven and whatever you're driven to do, you just need to do it. And the rest will fall into place. It could be a little bit, you know, hairy at times, trust me, you know, Keeping those books balanced and keeping the cash flowing, it, it can be tough. Right. But it's rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people that don't take the advantage of opportunities when they come up, I think they're missing out. We can't let fear stop yeah. us fear. from opportunities of helping others or helping our own family because we're afraid to do something. So there was well, a whole hey, movie about that. It was called Defending Your Life. If you haven't seen it, you I need haven't. to I'm Defending gonna... Your Life with Albert Brooks. It's all about fear and how we don't live our lives because we're too afraid. It's a good movie. A little bit of a doubt, but it's good. (laughs) Yeah. I was watching uh, um, Moscow on the Hudson with Robin Williams the other day. And just just the idea, you know, we go into a grocery store and there's so many choices of everything, right? And in this idea, he's a Russian immigrant and he goes into Bloomingdale's and he goes up to the 
I think it was the cheese counter and he says, I'd like some cheese, you know, cause he's used to just standing in line and take whatever. And, you know, and they're like, well, you know, which, uh, which one of the 400 varieties of cheese would you like? And he's like, Oh, you know, I can't, I can't deal with it. I can't remember the next counter and the next, but it's this idea that America has such abundance yeah. and we forget the rest of the world may not have that abundance right. and, and how we can help them uh, live some of the same life that we do and, and help them, create that from the ground up and that's exactly what you're doing and that's why i wanted to have you on the show so oh, i appreciate your having me it's randall so randall what are some of the things that you do we we got so caught up in the whole uh what you've got going on with the world hunger team what is it you do when you're not working what are some of the hidden gems you have around nashville do you have three of those for us maybe i sure do one of my favorite places is called d's country cocktail lounge it's in madison okay it, uh on just off due west road and uh gallatin pike uh it's behind and tucked behind in an adult bookstore uh, okay so you have to look, know it's there but they have some of the best local music you're going to find. And they actually stream all their shows live on the internet. Wow. And what's it called again? D's, D-E-E apostrophe S, Country Cocktail Lounge. And all these guys are performing live. I mean, like Joan L. Mosser, she's one of my favorite local blues artists, and she's there every Sunday. But you can log in from your you know dining room table and watch it for free. There's always an electronic tip jar, so tip your, tip your artists. But, right. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones. Uh, in terms of food, uh, it was a place called West Coast Tacos. They have two locations, one in Donaldson, uh, right on, right off of Lebanon Pike, an old, old Lebanon Road uh, by McNamara's, if you know where McNamara's is. Okay. Then they also have one up by the airport, north of the airport. But West Coast Tacos, they make a birria taco. It's a red shell taco, and it's stuffed with shredded beef but it's almost like pot roast quality brisket right. quality right you get a cup of beef broth a consomme and you dip it in there okay. and that's a real real treat you ought to try that one and they also have uh the uh indian corn the uh mexican corn rather if you remember the movie uh oh where jack black was the uh the the, the fighter i don't remember that yeah the, with the mexican wrestler yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. el libre or something uh, yeah i can't remember yeah, yeah. something like that. anyway the kid yeah. the guy who was with him always had the indian the mexican corn and right the, the crema well they make that in a cup now okay it, it is to die for they have it yep. there too yep. and i guess my last one is is in uh old hickory it's flat tire diner this is a blast to the past this is like a diner of old and they're only open mornings and they they'll do lunch till about I think, two or three. Right. Uh, but they make some of the best breakfast local. I mean, like monstrous heaping servings. They make a lot of uh, like they make a French toast that's covered with cereal. I stole their recipe. I make it at home now. It's great. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was my wife uh, looks at me funny because I, I actually I just finished some French toast before we got on the show. But. I grew up, it's just, my dad would say, it's egg and bread, you're not putting sugar on it. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to put ketchup on it. He says, you go right ahead. So I grew up eating French toast with ketchup. And then we got this Indian foreign exchange student. And he said, dad, it's egg and bread. And I dip it in honey mustard. I said, you can eat it any way you want. Because my kids are giving him a hard time. But uh, it's it's funny. I, I 
different people eat things differently. So one of my favorite diners here in, in the Nashville area is Brown's Diner. I mean, oh. it is, it, oh. I mean, it's not much, but the food is awesome. And so is the service. I mean, the lady's probably been there. I don't know. She would probably say that she's middle-aged, but you know, she's getting on a bit. Um, but she's like, I went the first time I sat down, I had a friend invite me and he and she says, uh, have you, you know, do you know what you want? I said, oh no, this is my first time here. She goes, okay. And she walks away. I said, what was that? She goes, I've already got your order. I'm like, <laughs> okay. She goes, he goes, and my friend says, you'll just eat what, what she brings you. Cause it'll be right. And yeah. it was, it was a burger and fries and it was delicious. And I know, you know that's their favorite thing though. They, they do a great burger. Yeah. Yeah, so Brown's Diner is is my pick for the week. So I'll put I've said it multiple times, but maybe they'll get the hint. They they recently did a remodel, and they were like, uh, I don't know if they were closed, but I went by a couple of times and they weren't open. Um, and I thought they should have been, but anyway, I walked in after the remodel. It looks exactly the same. I don't know what it is they remodeled, but it looks exactly the same. So I'll probably hear about it when I get him on the show sometime. The the owner and and he'll yeah. say, no, no, we did this and we did this and we did this, but. Hey, Randall, thanks for sharing those with me. I, I'm glad we didn't forget, and uh, I'll, we'll talk later. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. thanks. Bye. This is the Nashville 2 Podcast with your host, Edward Fox. Edward Fox.